The Arti and Sriram show is a production of iHeartRadio and Arti and Sriram. But how do I reach out to a founder? Right? Am I sending them a tweet? Am I LinkedIn messaging them? Like, where do I find them? When you got started, what was working for you? What do you learn about just approaching a founder? Uh, it's such a good question, especially because I I feel like there's you know venture is a big industry now, and founders are getting tons of inbound every day. Hey everyone, we have a real treat for you this time today. We have. Two people that we absolutely adore and are genuine friends, and maybe most importantly, I'm very fortunate to work with. Uh, uh, they work with me at uh, Andreessen Horowitz, and the reason we have them today uh, is because we wanted to do an episode uh, on a question that we get asked all the time. I get asked all well, the time. You get asked. All I get asked all the time. But Ati too, which is, how do I become a venture capitalist? Right? Uh, these folks, I see them tweet a lot. A lot of VCs tweet a lot. Uh, you know, I see them online. I see them doing podcasts. You know, that yeah, seems to be what do you guys do? There's a lot of tweeting yeah. and and podcasting and and but 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 you know, and, but what's the job? How do I even get in? Do I need money? You know, uh, what are some of the basics? What do, what do VCs even do when they're not on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, do VCs even exist outside of Twitter? But anyway, but we get all these questions. So I thought I'll get two people who I think are amazing at the job of being venture capitalists. They have very, very different paths and stories of how they got there. And, you know, to me, I just kind of adore uh, working with them. I've, you know, had the privilege of working with over the last year and a half. So we have Olivia Moore and Brian Kim. Olivia, Brian, welcome. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. It's great <laughs> to be here. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, uh, by the way, feel free during this episode to tell everybody how much you love working with me. We too. love you. Uh, yeah, this is great. I was just going to say we love wink, you, too. Wink. Of course yes. we do. If you have to ask. I always have to ask. I always like to ask. You have to put it out there, right? Right. Um, but no, seriously, you know, um, I do generally adore working with both of you. I think you're both fantastic in your own way. But what I really, maybe this is a good place to start which is what I really like about both of each of you, and I would love to maybe start with you, Olivia, is you have very different paths of how you got into venture. So maybe, you know, you, you want to tell us a little bit about your story and, you know, how do you get this job? I, I feel like everyone's path to venture is very unique to them mm-hmm. and, and different and always some fun stories. I was aware of venture from a really young age. Um, I grew up in a tiny town in Oregon, but my mom, before she retired, had been a venture capitalist out in Chicago. This was like pre-software. So I'll tell her like, this business has like 90% gross margins. And she'll be like, no way. That's like not possible. Uh, She was looking like Starbucks and Chipotle and businesses like that. So I was aware of it for a while. She was doing angel investing. Then I went to Stanford for undergrad and startups are everywhere there. It's like impossible to avoid them. I started working actually for the student government, uh, which has this massive endowment and uh, that's where Stardex, which is an incubator, had spun out of. Um, and so I ended up starting my own incubator for student founders to kind of get a sense of like, what would it actually be like if I was going to take a real shot at doing a startup? Like, should I give up my McKinsey offer and spend my summer trying to build this thing instead? <laughs> and so from there, it was kind of a natural path, which we can talk about. But um it gave me kind of an excuse to talk to VCs because I had information about Stanford student startups, which they were really excited about. And eventually ended up working at a firm called CRV and then joined A16Z about two years ago. And 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 Olivia is amazing. And if you haven't, by the way, I think each both of you but you should, uh, are amazing. But o- Olivia has amazing social media and Twitter yeah, game, which I we'll get to. Olivia's tweets, yeah. which is really great. If you're interested in consumer tech, marketplaces, 
app store stuff mm-hmm. like she's the person to go talk to she's yeah. awesome yeah by the way i really like your elizabeth holmes voice I'm today so sorry <laughs> It's like quite the Terranos vibe here. It works. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let's just keep the eyes wide open as well. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm definitely going to... It is, it is 20% better than this morning, which says a lot. It was yeah. really, really bad. Yeah. So. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay for the Elizabeth Holmes comment. Um, but, uh, or Liz Holmes, as the New York Times called Liz her. Holmes. Um, Liz uh, Holmes. Uh, but, okay, Brian, BK... Your story, because your story actually closes to my story as how to, you know, we got into ventures. So how did you wind up here? Yeah, that's a great question. I, as, as Olivia was talking, I was sort of reflecting, and it's interesting, you know, the the knowing venture from an early age, uh, sort of the Stanford, which is sort of the, you know, hotbed of all, all the venture as well as activity for a long time. It's quite quite the opposite. Uh, I, I like to probably think uh, I'm quite out of what we would call central casting. Uh, I'm I'm not an obvious candidate for. I think he just uh, called himself design. handsome right here. Uh, no, well, okay. Uh, okay. Sure. Moving along. Moving along. Not not on the central casting in a way that look like I uh, you know my last real sort of uh, role that actually probably earned a right to even be in this job uh, is having worked at a you know a tech company uh, or a few two two tech companies but probably mainly Snapchat. And as we all know, that that's sort of based in L.A. It's not even close to Silicon Valley. And before that, uh, we all don't like to talk about it, especially me. But I used to be a banker for nine years, which is probably eight years and 11 months too long. But, you know, that's mm-hmm. what I did. And so not an obvious candidate, honestly, thinking through like uh, VC. But what was interesting is, you know, after having been at Snap for so long and working with just brilliant founders and brilliant people who just at the forefront of uh, changing consumer behaviors, I drank the Kool-Aid uh, in, in a lot, a lot of it, and just got very, very excited about sort of the space. And even when I was doing investment banking, I worked almost ex- exclusively with um, sort of the internet type companies. Uh, and, you know, when I met, you know, really uh, Joe Tsai and uh, Jack uh, Alibaba for the first time, it was like eye opening. Oh, my God, these people think so differently. They're like aliens. They're like, oh, we're going to build, uh, you know, these companies for 100 plus years and it was just a very fundamentally different mindset, and I couldn't wait to work with, work for people like that. My journey was I, I, I begged my way. I genuinely begged my way into Snapchat for any job. I, I begged, please let me do anything. They did not know what to do with me, so they put me in a thing called strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I, and I think you know that, that's been like a blessing because it gave me sort of the burst to kind of figure out what uh, I could do within a startup that was growing something like, you know, 30x in, uh, you know, overall employees and going from zero revenue to many billions as uh, Shuram has greatly contributed. So that was like a really interesting journey. And after having come out of that, the idea was, uh, you know, it, it's like sort of an inception, a, a seed has taken hold. Mm. And the seed was like, I want to work with and work for people like this, for honestly, the rest of my life. This mm. is this is sort of a life-changing for a lot of people and and the products that we work on in the hands of millions and millions of people and to me personally there's nothing more exciting than that and so the way i got into venture essentially is a very non-linear actually where i did not know anything and i thought look like i i have like some understanding of what uh, a good consumer product looks like feels like uh, what metric might look good because i had more of a financy metric-y background and, uh, you know, with few good friends who were still at Snapchat, you know, four to five of us, uh, we, we started this coalition of sorts called Uncommon Projects, which was we're just sharing deals. We're investing in, you know, a couple of interesting, you know, founders that we meet uh, and a lot of projects that we like. 
And I realized as I was sort of working in a next startup that's called Bungalow, which is doing more of a marketplace, uh, marketplace thing. I realized that 90% of my joy in a day was mm-hmm. coming from that 10% of time I was putting into odd hours, like 7 a.m. Yeah. call this founders, 11 p.m. call this founders. And I was getting really animated and, and sort of, you know, came to a decision where this should probably be my full-time job. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's sort of uh, taken hold. And, and luckily, I, I knew a person or two at Andrews and Horowitz. Yeah who had reached out uh, and said, hey, like we might you know, be interested in looking for people who understand one or two things about consumer products. Like, would you be interested? And that, that's how the story started. And that was pre-COVID. And my, I think my interview period was nine months. I think my references, they did 15 people reference. Yeah. So I, I thought I was r- running for a political office. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, ultimately through the gauntlet, uh, I was uh, I gained an admission, if you will. And uh, I've been an incredible journey for the last two and a half years. Well, and both of you are incredible. I think one thing I like about both these stories is they're so different. I think Brian said something which is like it's non-linear. There is, in some way, I think there's no obvious path to you know to get a role at a venture capital firm, which may be a good segue to I think the heart of what we wanted to get to. And maybe this kind of love for anybody to kind of jump in, which is for people listening. And they, they may be you know they may be in Silicon Valley, maybe they're a PM, maybe they're an engineer, maybe they're not in Silicon Valley, maybe they're not even in this country. If you had to start with maybe very tangible things about how do you become a VC. Where should they even start? Yeah, it's a good question. I think like this this is kind of a common phrase about the job, which is like there's a few key parts, like finding great companies, like picking which ones to invest in, like actually winning the deal, and then like working with companies afterwards. I know Brian says he's not central casting, but in many ways, I feel like lots of people in venture are not who are successful are not central casting because, you know, we need people that can help find companies, work with companies after investment, before investment in different ways. Like if everyone could all have like the same skill set, it would be, you know, a less fun and interesting mm-hmm. job and, and there's less that we could contribute to our to our companies. So I guess that's a long precursor to say, I think like everyone has who wants to get into venture has something unique that they can bring to the job. For me, and I think for a lot of people who are trying to get into venture young, so I joined a year out of undergrad. I worked at Goldman for a year and then I went to CRB. And at that point, it's often honestly the finding part mm-hmm. because you have a lot of energy, <laughs> you yeah. have a lot of time, you're high hustle, you can go and meet 40 companies in a week and kind of train your own internal model really quickly to understand what's interesting and what's not to my firm. I think the next level of that, and sometimes where people are really successful in recruiting into venture at even a younger age is like, do you have a differentiated network or set of resources or access that makes that finding job even better for you or even more calibrated? So that could be a school, that could be a company you worked at, that could be your own Twitter account or a Slack group you founded mm-hmm. or you know some other group that you brought together where there's talented people building things that will take 30 minutes out of their day to talk to you. Well, maybe I think, because Olivia is just really so amazing at all parts of but especially this, but when you got started, how did you, I think people listening are going to go like, okay, but how do I reach out to a founder, right? Am I sending them a tweet? Am I LinkedIn messaging them? Like, where do I find them? So when you got started, right, like, what were you doing? You know, what uh, what were you? What was working for you? What do you learn about just approaching a founder? Uh, it's such a good question, especially because I I feel like there's 
you know, venture is a big industry now and founders are getting tons of inbound every day. Mm -hmm. And so especially as like, you know, an analyst associate level person, getting a founder to actually respond to your email (laughs) is not easy necessarily, especially being a consumer investor. Like the the least you can do is download the product, (laughs) spend time on the product and come up with something interesting, differentiated, helpful to say about it. It is really the least you can do, but you would be shocked how few people actually do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, if, yeah, if you're reaching out to a founder and you even include a couple lines about how you found the product, what you think is unique about it, like a, a question you have about where it might be headed, like those kinds of things, it sounds very simple, but it can be like a major difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can vouch for that. We we have a founder that Olivia and I worked on together, uh, and we got a, a great chance to work with her uh, verbatim. Like I would not have responded to you all uh, unless Olivia had first reached out. And it was so genuine. It was interested in the product and actually made it clear that she used and had thoughts. And that, you know, it's like, like, like Olivia said, like, it sounds easy, but you know, when you go through hundreds uh, or or more in a week, just easy to become like a rot motion, which, uh, you know, that care and, and genuine interest actually, I think does show, especially the founders who, whose product is their, is their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of had that as a founder myself. Like, for two companies, we'd have these investors reach out, and about, like, 70% of them would be like, really heard great things about you and your company, would love to chat, and you're like, okay, you'd, like, schedule this meeting. <laughs> First, they'll be like, would love to chat, and then you're like, great, do you have time? They'll be like, oh, looping in my admin. I'm like, but you said you wanted to chat. Like, what? Okay, so you'd, like, schedule this whole thing, like, three weeks out. And then at the office, I'm like, so what do you do? Like, why are we meeting? And I'm like, oh, I thought, okay, I guess this is like totally off cadence. So you're totally right that the number of people who just like even install what you have, like try it out or look at the website, the homepage, and even be like, this is what you do. Even that would be like, wow, they've done some research. There were very few of them who'd be like, actually test out the whole experience. Look at the team, talk us to talk to us about like, I saw that you don't have a marketing person. Do you need a marketing person? I know this really mm-hmm. good candidate. And they're like, holy shit, they actually went through the second level on our website. This is amazing. So it's like the bar is so low. Most people don't even cross that threshold. Yeah. yeah. Sure. You asked something really interesting of like, how do you become a VC? And I, I get this question sometimes and it's, you know, the non-linearity continues. I, I think you, we would find that the backgrounds are varied. You know, oh, yeah. some some of them previous founders uh, and and succeeded, exited, and you know knew knew how to build a company, um, or maybe not. Right? Like uh, some have tried to try to build a company and didn't quite work, and understands the ins and outs, the ups and downs of, of that journey. I think there are a group of people who uh, were operators, uh, like you and me. Uh, you know, to some extent, who. Who've seen, you know, how the how the you know how the thing gets made? Yeah, yeah. How the how the pie gets baked from the very early on of like, oh, like at a village stage or family stage, how that becomes a village, a city, a country, and and, and number of people and complexity of the organization, and that also gives you like a slightly different view of how to understand the company building aspect of it. And then you you also have this investor track, yeah. which actually gives you incredible amount of leverage because your you know acumen or instincts have been honed by seeing so many and i think that that's a really interesting point to me where there is no single you know route but i i do think what is interesting in all three is 
what I would say the the activeness, right? If you just joined a company and just worked as like a foot soldier in something, like that's fine, and maybe you do it. But you know, really, I think the value is being at the forefront. What I what I call is like the best job to have at a startup is to you know either own a full PNL or being in an extremely fireable position, because that means you're you're either doing something of importance, and if it works, you're great, you're a hero, and if it doesn't work, you're fine. And I think that's a good position to be. And and same with founder, you know, like if you just sort of like, you know, a lifestyle type business, that may not be the type of founders that uh, are well suited for VC and, you know, likewise for investors. So I think that activeness uh, is a, sort of an ingredient that I, I tend to think about. And Olivia touched on this a little bit, you know, at early stages, especially for listeners or your audience who are slightly, you know, in the earlier side of the career. I know we all think we're really busy, right? But like when you have kids and family responsibilities, life gets hectic mm-hmm. sometimes. And uh, I, I think what's interesting is like earlier stage, you might be very busy, but actually what you have to offer is hustle and time. Yep. And, and if you're smart and if you go about it the right way and use the time wisely, you have a lot of value to add to, you know, uh, especially investors and VCs and there's nothing better uh, to a VC than, hey, have you heard of this company? Oh, yes. And you, have, yep. you haven't heard of it, and it's good. Jesus Christ. Yes. You repeat that three times or two times, like one is an aberration, two is a trend. Yep. So then you know, you, you're converting this time and hustle into something usable and tangible and extremely you know, value-add for, for folks in, in a position that you would want to be. And I think if you go through this like other journey, a path of like founder, operator, investor, what have you, then what you end up gaining is like this knowledge or empathy or or sort of expertise in some area that may be helpful, or even you know a, a lens to to evaluate some of the opportunities. And I think you know you convert early in the time of like time and hustle into going through this journey, and maybe that becomes a little bit of knowledge and expertise, and you utilize that to to maybe go get into. BC, which is a very idiosyncratic you oh, know, yeah. industry and seats or, or spots don't open all the time. And, you know, if it's very possible that nobody needed who understood, you know, social products in yeah. two years ago, and I would be jobless. Yeah, wow. there's just so much gold in what BK just said. The part about if you stand out by identify something that we haven't heard, if somebody hasn't heard of before, you do it a couple of times, you will be on that their radar, right? Uh, I guarantee you, you will be discussed on the internal yeah. Slack. Um, <laughs> and uh, this person is amazing. Um, One question I have is, you know, I've met and worked with a bunch of founders and some founders have this perception of we should only work with VCs who have operating experience. If they don't have operating experience, what do they know about what I'm going through? Have they built a product? Have they shipped anything? And then you have a bunch of founders who are like, well, we don't really need them for operational feedback that we've got, but we want them to be good at finance. We want them to be good at metrics. Um, What's your take? Do you feel like VCs need to have a particular background or check off a few checkboxes, operator versus not? What's your take on that? It's funny, you know, operating, especially more recently, has been, you know, maybe not a trend, but at least a category of investors Mm -hmm. that, you know, founders have you know, started to appreciate at least uh, because they've sort of gone through some of the journey, as you said. You know, one of the one of the disclaimers that Olivia is sick of hearing is, uh, "I'm gonna have product thoughts. Please do not listen to me. All I'm doing is I'm planting some seed in the direction. Okay. I'm gonna say some stupid product thing, but you're the founder. You control the direction. I'm a dumb investor. Do not listen to me. But here are some of the directions. Then you know, you do what 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 you will. But 
you know, ultimately, I think it depends on what the founder wants out yeah. of their investor, right? If you're looking for capital, if you feel like you've got it, then, you know, someone who meddled in like, oh, like that should be the product direction. You should go to market this way, that way, like may or may not be helpful. Yeah. So some founders actually look for folks who are just, you know, mostly capital and, and will will sit out the sort of uh, operational side. But I, I think what's uh, the overarching theme that I would think about of how should BC think about, you know, folks with operational expertise or not, I think it's like sort of thinking through your strengths and, and what you might want to, uh, you know, augment to build a generational and long lasting enduring company. And if you feel like they bring something or the platform they represent brings, uh, you know, expertise and resources and network that you wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah. I think that's a fine way to think about how you select your investor base. Yep. Mm -hmm. I love that. I totally agree. It, it feels like a debate that will never quite be resolved. And maybe that's because there's good investors who have come from both backgrounds. I do think it does come down to like, yeah, you as a founder, like, what are you looking for out of the relationship? Maybe it's, you know, if I've seen BK get to work partner with many companies because he was able to see and be a, such a huge part of Snapchat's growth, which is like an unparalleled advantage for any brand new consumer social company. Mm -hmm. And then there's other companies where, you know, maybe the most relevant investor is like a career VC who was on the board of like XYZ, you know, adjacent company or something for five or 10 years and kind of saw the journey from zero yeah. to IPO. So I, yeah, it does feel very case by case. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm very much on team X social media person bakes the great <laughs> VCs, but I wonder why. Yeah. Maybe bias. Um, uh, Olivia, I want to go to you uh, uh, with this one, which is, I think for folks listening to this, some of them will be like, they look at BK and they're like, great, you know, you, You've been like 10 years uh, plus experience. You were at Snap, a well-known company. Uh, and maybe they're much earlier, right? Like they're earlier in their career, you know, maybe a year or two, uh, or they're still in academia, or they, maybe they're not in a well-known tech company. We all know people who have been uh, kind of stood out, made a name for themselves, or built a network. So if you are a bit earlier in your career, or maybe you don't have a brand name on your LinkedIn, how do you build a network? Because I think we talked a little bit about the importance of a network or a brand and how you can then, you know, you know, you stand out. But how do you build a network? I think it does come back to what BK said earlier of like, there is something you have as a young person that more senior people don't, which is like time and hustle. And so I found like when I was a student at Stanford, I would send cold emails to hundreds of VCs about this incubator that I was working mm -hmm. on. I had no idea what I was doing, but I had one thing to offer, which is, hey, I'm starting this thing. I will send you a list of all of the Stanford startups that I find through doing this. And I will tell you who's fundraising and who all the teams are. Will you please come and spend, you know, 30 minutes to talk with the cohort of the cohort of founders about this? Um, and you can do the same for startups. Like I was looking to intern at many startups and a lot of them Maybe if you're a student, again, are looking to break into campus distribution or looking to hire ambassadors or looking to understand Gen Z or another audience. And I guess my advice kind of comes down to like, if you are maybe specific in how you think you can be helpful and if you come very prepared, um, it goes so far in kind of impressing even really, really impressive right. people yeah. and getting them to give you like, 20, 30, <laughs> 40 minutes of their time. Um, and then follow-up is another huge thing, I would say, in the networking game, especially for young people. 
I have so many calls with like amazing students, amazing young career people. And then, you know, there's no real specific ask or anything. And I just never hear from them again. Um, And so even saying like, hey, I took this internship or, hey, I have this other thing I thought you want to know about every three, six, nine months, I think is such a such a good idea. Uh, Oliver has so much gems right there um, because I I did a whole series about how to write a cold email. And I would talk about how most people like so many of us have that first coffee, first meeting, then you never hear from them again. Um, And I'm like, just just send them an email about what are you up to? It could be neuro. You don't need to grab another coffee, right? You can just be like, well, I'm up to this or I read this interesting piece and just staying on top of mind uh, is so powerful. Um, the other thing I want to point out is what Olivia said, like, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you've gone so far in your career, you work at, you know, a very well-known firm, but even as a student, right? Writing a thoughtful email and if we see, you know, just getting a thoughtful email puts you ahead of so many people trying to, you know, reach you and then saying, hey, go meet some smart people that you may not have met before. I'm going to help curate and aggregate and give you a- that's great. Right. Like and if you do that once or twice, you're going to be ahead of nine, nine percent of the people. So mm-hmm. what Olivia did, uh, even, you know, um, back when you student is ahead of what most people would do, right? And I think there's something profound, which is like everyone has something to offer. It could be insight, it could be a network, but if you are in tech, if you're not in tech, if you spend time and energy and just sending a thoughtful email and doing it repeatedly is going to get you so, so far. She also said something interesting where like, you know, how do you build a network and you sort of uh, do these thoughtful, you know, um, thoughtful outreach. There's another sort of, uh, and I, I think, uh, Shrab, you might you might have actually coined this, but like it's a, like a really permissionless way of doing something where, you know, you could write about something that you're very excited about, and maybe you don't have all the requisite knowledge. Maybe you you maybe you do, but in, in the world of you know technology where we live, things change. What now? Like especially with the ID, they like an hourly basis. Yeah, and so you know if you have time, you can read up and form an opinion and write something about it. And I, I think you know we even you know at, at our firm hired people. Uh, you know, that we found through writing thoughtful essays yep. around area that they're really interested in. And yeah. if that happens to coincide with what we are interested in, that's actually a network because network doesn't have to mean you know the person you grabbed coffee, you had Zoom. It could be strongly shared opinion about yeah. a topic. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's like an interesting another way to maybe, you know, quote unquote, build a network and, and mm-hmm. get, get yourself known a little bit in the space that you're interested in. Well, I'll point out, you know, and Olivia probably won't mind me saying this, like even before, way before we met, way before, you know, she was getting interviewed or we kind of were talking about her working at the firm, right? Um, the newsletter that you run um, with yeah. uh, Justine was kind of the first time and we, those things would get shared all the time because it was thoughtful, it was great. And over time, we're like, hey, who are these folks who write this amazing newsletter and they assembled a vibrant community and, you know, that led to conversations. Let's go to a fun question. What does a VC do all day? What is the job exactly, right? And what are different kinds of ways to do the job? But what 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 does a venture capitalist do? Uh, every day is so different, which I know is like the worst kind of cop-out answer. But I would say like, in general, it's trying to like keep on top of, of all the ways we can help our portfolio. And then ideally getting ahead of whatever is next. The way that venture works, especially early stage venture, like deals become 
kind of like a hot deal. Like they're raising money. Everyone's chasing them so quickly. Yeah, but wait, 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 like, Olivia, you want to ex- we want to explain what I think what uh, you want to explain what you mean by hot deal? Uh, oh yeah, 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 definitely. Oh yeah. Um, so I would say like there's a couple companies in maybe each category that raise money every year that for some reason they become really really competitive and every firm is chasing them and wanting to work with them and it becomes kind of an mm-hmm. all out order to see who gets to lead the round. Sometimes it's a great team. Sometimes it's a product that has a lot of traction. It can be a real mix of things. But in those cases, like having spent time with that company and with those founders, getting to know them before it's a hot deal can often be the difference between like whether they pick you or not. Um, And ideally, you know, you get to know them well enough and develop your own conviction to the point where it doesn't become a hot deal because you just invest (laughs) before everyone else figures out about it. That's like the best case scenario, I would say. Um, So most days for me, at least, are meeting at least a couple of new companies Mm -hmm. to try to kind of figure out what are my maybe top prospects for the for the quarter or for the next few months of like, what do I think is going to become something really, really interesting that that we want to kind of spend real time on. Yeah, I, I love that. And Brian, what about you? What do you do all day? <laughs> I got I got to ask this question one day. What do I do all day? I you know so actual you know thing that happens. It is actually a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot of discussion internally, externally with founders and in, you know folks inside of the firm as well. But to to bring it like maybe a level uh, higher is that I, I tend to think like what our job. VC is interesting, you know, people are like, oh, like you, you get to invest, like we're founders and that's all good. Like, yes, that's all true. But at the end of the day, we, uh, we're stewards of capital, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we have, uh, we have a uh, limited partners who, who give us money to invest in the next promising startup. Our quote unquote duty is to deploy those capital wisely and, uh, invest in winners and return, hopefully many more folds of uh you know money than we receive mm-hmm. and and those capital typically goes back to a lot of uh, good things like public public funds like educational funds mm-hmm. like endowments etc hospital you know found foundations etc so if i think about that you know at the end of the day like the the job is to invest in a company that return capital great but how the how and what actually happens in a day-to-day in my mind is like we convert to some extent like our Mm, thoughts i suppose and and you know our, our firm has like an interesting way of, of putting it which is prepared mind so you know you you develop a prepared ma- mind around a space a company or whatever and you convert that into quote unquote a deal sit you know on the sidelines and hopefully it does well and you return capital that's great too but i think there are you know parts of venture capital more and more so these days that sort of getting awakened to the fact that you, the outcome isn't just a deal because we want to return capital to you know our limited partners. The outcome is to actually help that company become very successful. Mm. There's an element of help where what does that look like and what does help mean and what is the end goal? The end goal is essentially the company being like a very enduring success and actually getting to liquidity, which whether it means like M&A outcome or IPO outcome, what have you. And so I tend to think like, what we do each day may dif- differ on a daily basis, which is great for people like who have ADD like me. Mm-hmm. And they vary between like sourcing and reading all these things and meeting all these companies to develop a prepared mind to picking the winner. So you got to think about, oh, like why and how and what are the framework that I'll deploy. Winning, which is more of a, you know, 
firefighter motion sometimes, especially if it's a hot deal, you, you go into a firefighting mode. Uh, but then there, it extends into working with your company as well, especially if you're sitting on the board, you, you owe, you know, fiduciary duty to the, to the shareholders of the company. And in order to do that, you need to, you know, exercise what they call duty of care. Mm-hmm. So that means like your attention and care while you're employed in a BC also needs to go to many of your portfolio companies that <laughs> you are working very closely with. So. I tend to think there are like four to five different elements of, of the job. And depending on the day, it, it sort of, you know, changes all the time. But I, I would say overall split wise, I, I tend to sort of spend maybe it's like, you know, 70, 30 or 60, 40, depending on a day where uh, the more the majority goes to, you know, the investing activity and slightly less maybe goes to actively helping or, or you know, exercising that care uh, for the company that we work with. Yeah. Uh, but I, think good, we, I, still, oh, I was, I was just going to add one thing, which is it's such a good point because we put in so much time, energy and effort to kind of like win the deal and get a chance to work with the company. But that is always just like step one of what ends up being like then a five, 10, 15 year mm-hmm. journey. And Brian and I work on a bunch of companies together that we've been kind of lucky enough to get to invest in. And many of those founders we're talking with literally every day. Because uh, they, you know, have a question. We're helping interview candidates. Uh, we're kind of unlocking some network things for that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's another thing that maybe young people getting into venture, it's important to understand, which it's not just like flying around meeting founders and chasing deals. Yeah, but, yeah. but the most important part of it is like what actually comes after you actually make the investment. Great point. Um, one of my favorite examples is... Um, this investor of ours, angel investor, first check into our company. And we were like, well, okay, that was great. We finished closing the round. We got back to work. And uh, he came in one day and he was like, um, so I'm really good at data science. And uh, what I can help you with is if you can just give me like a big data dump of everything that you have, I'm happy to just figure out all the queries charts whatever and just like make sense of the whole thing would that would that be useful for you and we were like you fucking out of your yeah that'll be great and he was like oh and i was like why why are you being so nice like what do you need in return and he was like I, just something like i just feel like i can help you with this thing you guys are like a three-person shop i don't feel like you know you have the resources to go hire someone or have the bandwidth but just send me what you have just a sequel down oh and i'll God. take care of it and we were like this guy is amazing. So to this day, we, we've kept in touch. Um, it's Leo Polowitz from Sousa Ventures. Amazing. And, and he's fantastic. I mean, that, that yeah. karmic jar, Arthi, uh, he just <laughs> filled it up that it was you. And yeah. I think the great thing is our, our jobs and network and, and these opportunities are very long dated. So yeah, yeah, it was awesome. I was like, you want to give us your time and do this like oh wow. super boring work and he's like yeah, yeah that'd be so fun and i'm like okay sounds good so since then i've just like sent him deals yeah. tried to be helpful and just been like leo just want to check in because i know he's going to be valuable to these companies too uh leo's going to wake up after the episode comes and be like why are people sending all these sequel dumps like what am i supposed to do what when did something happen um uh actually be excited yeah but uh, yeah leo's fantastic you know i think something brian said and always said i think super true is like this when people ask me, you know, how is it to go from an operator, which is kind of a weird word, like, you know, to a venture capitalist, what really changes? And I think the fact that your day is so v- different, even between ours, like when you're with a company doing a role, 
you typically have a good day or a bad day. The company's doing well or it's not doing well. Your team is doing well, not doing well. You're, in, you're building a thing. So you're kind of in the same rhythm, right? But when you're, uh, we see you work in so many different kinds of companies. Uh, they are in different stages. They are in, um, you know, uh, very different kinds of health. So you could wildly swing from, oh, I'm going to convince this person to join this company for me to talk to a prospective founder to, you know, just figure out what they're working on to. There is a crisis, right? And so, you know, one thing to tell people is like, a key part of the job is your internal, like emotional, like, you know, every kind of like manage your emotional state. Yeah. Because I've definitely had ones where you go from like a very intense situation to being like, hey, you should absolutely join this other company, which is amazing. And you have to so quick and, and Zoom meetings, whether you kind of like switching out, you have to like be on. And um, and I think sometimes when you're an operator, you, you're not used to that, like, because you're so used to being in one rhythm. Uh, you're very busy with jobs as VCs. But uh, a couple of things I want to get to, and maybe to It's bit- Friday at 5 p.m. Like, what else could you possibly have? Have you played? At A16Z, we work 24-7 for our companies. <laughs> we do. Okay. I, all right. All right. All right. So, uh, Olivia, I think wh- we talk about this offline. One of the things I love about Olivia is uh, uh, you know, she's amazing on Twitter. Uh, if you haven't already, either, uh, go follow uh, her. Um, maybe let's keep it simple. What is the secret to writing a great tweet thread? First of all, I think there's probably many more people better qualified to answer this question than oh, me. Oh, come on. Come on. Okay, you're good. Okay, let's just go with that. It's, taught, it's Honestly, I do feel like it's kind of a learned skill in that, like, I used to be incredibly nervous to tweet anything, and I still get pretty nervous sometimes. I think, like, there's a lot of content out there, and so I try, if I'm doing kind of a more serious, like, longer form thing that I'm sharing with founders or with the ecosystem... I try to spend some time to invest into like, okay, I think this thing is interesting. So a recent example was like, I was like, I'm curious how many apps have been, you know, number one on the app store in the past year. So then like, you could tweet that question, which could get interesting responses. But then I was like, okay, I'm actually going to go pull the data. And then I noticed like, hey, there's some patterns or there's some interesting trends in here that might tell us something about like what consumers care about, like this year, last year, the next year, all of those things. And so I would say my tweets that have like maybe reached the most compelling founders are typically things where I like take a question I have or an insight that I've learned from someone and then go just like a level or two deeper to make it a little bit more actionable or like do the work for people in some way of like okay what should i learn from this or how does this like help me in my you know day-to-day life for my job one of the things i've been nudging brian about because brian's so fantastic is you you've been tweeting to i like your story from what have you learned so far about writing great because i know one of your recent threads went really really viral yeah you know i i tend to think my area is probably a little different i i you know i could try to build a public persona etc but sort of what i decided was look like to Olivia's point, let me do the work for them. Let me actually think about a meta database that like founders uh, will find very useful, but don't necessarily have access to. And let me mostly only tweet when I have something to share with them as they build, mm-hmm. as they build their products. Do I have, are, are these metrics good? Like, I'm not sure. And like, uh, what, what should I even care about? And a lot of founders sometimes are in this journey of finding that out by, you know, trial and errors. And so my thought process in, you know, that I have like one tweet that like went, did, did pretty well. And I think the, the thing uh, that I try to do and in that, look, like here's a bunch of data and what, how we think about what a good, great, okay type metrics are as you build your company. 
these can serve as some of the benchmark or guiding posts that may be relevant to you. And I've been blown away by and deeply grateful for other founders who reached out and said, this is actually very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. I was looking for this. And I think that's been a that's been my experience and my uh, objective or goal is to, you know, um, write and let people know when I have uh, things like that, which are typically a little more medium term dated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't you know, I, I think uh, it, it requires a little bit of data gathering and, and sort of the fermentation of that a little bit to for, for uh, it to be very useful for company building. Right, always tends to underplay his own expertise. Yes. <laughs> like you'll talk to him and he'll be like, yeah, you know, I've kind of like messed around with it. Like I remember joining Clubhouse uh, to do international work. I'd never done anything like that before. And I reach out to Brian. I'm like, hey, super new. You've done this before. You've done growth work before. And Brian pulls out this like spreadsheet. And it's got like different markets, ARPU, cell phone penetration, mm-hmm all like color-coded. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. you Bri- just- Brian, has, Brian has a lot of spreadsheets lying around, I'll tell you that. I'm like, uh, you know, yeah, I'm a data person, mm-hmm. a little bit. I'm like looking at that going, you made it seem like you were just like kind of coasting at Snap and here's like this whole thing that you just did in your free time. This is not even your job. It's kind of insane. So you yeah. should be tweeting a lot more. Yeah. Like, I don't know why you hold yourself back. You should just like <laughs> I, everything out there. Brian can testify. I annoy him about this all the time. Okay. <laughs> I know we're almost at our last question to each of you. Um, um, you know, we've been talking about people who want to be a VC. A lot of folks who are listening to this obviously are already founders or thinking of being one or building a company, and they want to reach out to venture capitalists such as yourself. So for people listening to this, what is the best way for them to approach you or people like you? Honestly, I would say like cold emails still work really well uh, and good, cold emails executed well. Uh, there's lots of stories within A16Z, but like we've hired people from good cold emails. We've made great investments from good cold emails. You know, there are managing partners at the firm who still take first meetings themselves from cold emails that are done really well. Um, so I would, you know, email, Twitter, all good channels, LinkedIn, even I need to check my messages there more often, but it's a, it's a good channel. I would say as kind of specific as you can be about like what you're building where you are in the product phase. Are you launched? Can you share a couple metrics? And then like, what are you looking for? Are you wanting a more casual coffee chat? Are you wanting advice on something? Or are you actively fundraising? I am a long email person, but um, so this is kind of hypocritical for me to say, but if you can keep it even to like five or six sentences, um, investors are pretty good at like parsing information and they'll be able to tell pretty quickly if this is like a potential fit for kind of what they're excited about and what they're doing. Yeah, no, I, I would say there's a lot of, uh, you know, content or background on typically all of us out there, whether it's LinkedIn, company profile, what have you. And so, you know, <clears throat> our histories are, are not re- relatively shrouded in mystery. So they're like, you know, touch points and, and connection points that you can leverage that. Uh, to get a warm intro, but also what's interesting is, look, like based on, you know, where we work, the areas that we're interested in, we write a lot, we tweet a lot, we blog a lot, you know, to the extent that there are things that are relevant to that, you know, this type of cold email to execute it well is probably something not like, hey, like I want, I want to get into VC, want to pick your brain, like coffee, Mm -hmm. question mark. Uh, and, and it may look something more like, uh, read your blog. This is really interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot. This is a problem statement that interests me. Uh, you know, I'm new and I understand this is like, maybe not, you know, immediately doable, but love to talk to you. 
And, you know, sometimes we have, you know, these firefighting things going on. So maybe we're not, you know, but we're, we could be behind emails, et cetera, where this is where the follow-up comes in. Look, like the first time not responding, we feel bad, but, you know, maybe not as bad. Second time we see that we don't respond, the guilt level goes up. <laughs> Third time, holy shit, I, I got to respond to this yeah. person. Yeah. So, you know, the following up thing really works here too. Both of you, just fantastic advice. I think one thing I'd also add is, I, I, it's kind of like the amount of time it's going to take to respond. For example, I get so many people who send me these emails, they're like, hey, I'm 22 years old, I would love advice. And I want to be thoughtful, but I'm like, okay, I need to be thoughtful and I kind of push it off because I don't want to send something pity. And I often won't wind up answering just because it just keeps getting put up because I'm thoughtful. But if somebody asks me something very specific, then I can just bang out like a yep. two-line email and then we have a conversation yep. going. So I think one of my advice, I think, it, like Oliver said, is like, the job is to go find amazing founders, right? So, you know, we're always looking for amazing people. That's the job. And uh, and if you can just make it easy on the other person, like, who are you? What are you doing? And be very precise. Like, don't ask for like, Hey, I already chat. You're like, okay, well, there's a lot of people. It's gonna be hard, and I don't want, I don't have time. But if you make it specific, better. But I think both of you just fantastic for advice. You're gonna get a lot of email, a lot of LinkedIn messages and tweets after this. But fantastic, yeah, love it. I love it. Um, I just want to say thank you so so much. You both are just fantastic, and uh, you know, you both fantastic at Twitter, but also just working in founders. I know so many people who just love working with you, whether they are part of a six and Z's portfolio or not. And uh, this was a blast. You should come back. This is so much fun. Yeah. We would yes. love that. RT and Shriram, thank you so much for your time thank and inviting you. us here. The RT and Shriram show is a production of iHeartRadio and RT and Shriram. For more podcasts, listen to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.